0: Thank you for listening to NSL Double Talk.
1: Never stop learning.
0: NSL Double Talk is brought to you by the company Never Stop Learning. NSL connects people and companies with experts across categories ranging from science and technology to art to global affairs and more. We look forward to learning with you. NSL Double Talk featuring Dr. Eliza Pressman and Melissa Bernstein. Their topic today is the importance of play-based learning. Elisa is the co-founding director of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center and also the co-founder of Seedlings Group, a parent's education group. Elisa is a Dartmouth graduate and received her PhD from Columbia University. Melissa is the co-founder and chief creative officer of Melissa and Doug, the toy company committed to igniting imagination and a sense of wonder in all children. A mother of six, she dreams of a day when kids are free from overscheduling, undue pressure and digital distractions. We are so excited to welcome Aliza and Melissa to NSL Double Talk. Hi, Melissa. Hi,
1: Aliza. I have to know how you started, Melissa and Doug, before we start this whole thing. (laughs) Is that a weird question? I mean, it must be related to play-based learning, right?
0: Yes, (laughs) it is related to play-based learning. Doug and I always talked about the toys that were magical from our childhoods. Most of them were very simple toys, blocks and puzzles. And one of the books we loved was Pat the Bunny, Mm -hmm. which had tactile nature to it. And when we started in business, we lamented the fact that those toys didn't really exist anymore. And when they did... They were really costly and had an aesthetic that wasn't very captivating to young children. That was sort of the genesis of our company. We decided to bring those back, but not as was boring, stodgy lackluster, but bring them back with lots of play value and pizzazz and really accessible pricing. Love that.
1: And they are amazing. So And how about you? Just need to get that out there. So and I work with families. I have two Roles. One is I'm the co founding director of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center, and there I work with families and healthcare providers and practitioners to really help families develop closer relationships, learn how to play together, and realize that those relationships and those experiences are how children thrive and grow.
0: What was the genesis for forming the Parenting Center?
1: There are so many environmental factors that can help promote children's growth and development that aren't related to nurture. It's just unacceptable if the deficits that exist in children's learning before they go into kindergarten are because of a lack of exposure Mm -hmm. to reading, to play, to connection. And if that's because there's misinformation out there or a lack of support for families or young parents, then I wanted to make sure that that was no longer the case.
0: So, you know, this has been an incredible last few months for play. August, was that a big month for you too?
1: No. Because
0: in (laughs) August, the American Academy of Pediatrics. Oh, yes. I didn't even think that that, that, of course that's great. That was great for both of us. So they made this unprecedented move to... I would say, suggest a prescription for play to all their pediatricians. For us, we were like pinching each other. We, we couldn't believe after 30 years of facing headwinds for play and play being considered frivolous Extra. and a waste of time and that any free time should be spent on skill-based scheduled adult-driven activities that can look good on a resume, mm. that suddenly, they're not so suddenly, it's been a gradual change, but the American Academy of Pediatrics was standing up and saying pediatricians must give parents a prescription for play in right. every well-child visit up to age two.
1: And it's so huge because the pediatricians have a voice that parents really listen to. I didn't consider that. That is a really wonderful and major event for you, and it was major for us because we're trying to get into changing the well-child visits so that that's exactly what's happening in the room. And The pediatricians who are young themselves, and especially pediatric residents who are the people who often work with families who are the highest need, they don't usually have children themselves.
0: Literally, if you read the study that supported that document and another clinical report that just came out, it says that every single skill you need throughout your life is built through play and play alone. And actually, without it, you cannot become a self-sufficient, capable adult, uh, which was incredibly profound. You know, we did a study with the Gallup organization about a year ago on play and how children spend their free time outside of school. And the results were really sad. And I think they really showed that parents don't appreciate play at all. Or if they appreciate any bit of it, it is outdoor play. But the problem is, In today's society, they're too fearful to allow their kids to go Mm -hmm. outdoors. So even though they appreciate it, they're not not allowing it. The skills they believe are important, they find, are only built through scheduled activities like sports. When it came to skills like creativity and critical thinking Mm -hmm. and innovation, they put those incredibly low on the list. And they put things like leadership high on the list that they felt were due to sports.
1: One of the things that we talk to the pediatricians about and talk to the parents about is just look where your little ones are gazing, and that's where they're going to learn the best. That's why making the toys not boring and very exciting, but without the lights and the things that are in the sounds that are going to make them actually take the brain of the child and put it inside the toy, that's not Melissa and Doug. But just the bright colors and the appealing look of them, you can really draw the kids in and then they can together. I'm not doing an ad. But I do think that 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 is a beautiful thing because it gives an opportunity for kids to use their thinking skills and to kind of decide what to do. And parents can learn through their kids that they actually can drive that. Otherwise, when they're totally structured, they end up, when they don't have something to do, just going, what am I going to do now? I think when you have these, you know, if you have blocks all over the place, those kids know how to party with blocks for hours. (laughs)
0: You know, I think what happened, I know I as a parent having um, a bunch of kids through (laughs) a long period of time and seeing all the mistakes I made, we all got on this treadmill of believing that you needed to skill build and that the skills you needed to build weren't those that, involved open-ended play. They involved literally learning something, becoming proficient in something and becoming a leader at something. Again, you know, we always say play doesn't go on a resume. I mean, Mm -hmm. play is something you can't really brag about at a party with your friends. Guess what my kid did today? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got on that treadmill. I don't know about you. You'll, You'll tell me your experience along with every other parent and literally started to feel anxious that my kids weren't doing enough and that I couldn't say they're not in, you know, full-time activities after school. Because of that, you know, play got deprioritized, but what we saw in an entire generation of kids is they were reaching college age not only with an inability to problem solve, to cope, to feel a sense of agency over themselves, but even more importantly without any true passion, and without actually knowing who they were, what brought them joy, what they loved to do, because they had never been allowed to discover that Mm -hmm. through childhood. And I think the whole point of life and growing up is trying a lot of things on for size Mm -hmm. and throwing out the things that don't feel right, and then trying on something else and honing and sort of getting to the point where you can have your, your list. I always say that it's about throwing things off the list rather than putting things on.
1: Right. But you can't do that if you don't have time to just kind of explore and try things on. And even with pretend play, they can try on all these things as if they have a skill <laughs> and see how that feels too. Cause that's a whole other thing. Just sitting with the idea of what and who they are and playing around with it. There needs to be time to do that. You get such inhibitions as you get older. So you need to do that when you're young.
0: Right now in the world, we have a mental health epidemic with depression being the leading cause of disability throughout the world. I think there is a stat, I might be incorrect, but it's like 300 million not good. depressed people in the world. When you think about why, because again, it's all about connection. You know, it's about connection to like-minded people, sort of finding your tribe, and it's connection to something that brings you joy sort of your your passions, a reason to get up each day. Mm -hmm. And that passion is play because play is what you do for nothing other than accessing joy. Mm -hmm. It's what you do for the pure thrill of doing it. As adults, what you can see has happened because I see it all around me every day at work is people who have lost sight of what brings them joy in their life. They're going through the motions. Their lives are full of obligation and responsibility, and it's drudgery. They soon lose the will to even want to sort of get out of bed each day. For us at our company, it's about as adults rediscovering that play in our own lives so that we can not only become better people and happier and more fulfilled ourselves, but if we have children or children in our lives, we can better understand and support the reason they so need to play.
1: Even if you have all the best intentions, really stopping and making sure that you take time to do the things that you're saying are so important. If you're not taking time to play and delight, then how in the world would any child, because they're so smart, buy it? Why would they think that that's actually a value of yours to take on in the world? And therefore, I really feel like I'm good at just delighting and not doing much and playing. But I think that that's an important thing to discover, and sometimes you have to discover it when you become a parent.
0: Well, and also think about it, You're the role model for where your kids will be one day. So if you're complaining and miserable and Mm -hmm. unhappy all the time, why do they want to grow up? Right, So it, it makes, very daunting. you know, right. It does. If you can't have any fun being an adult and delighting in everything you do, it doesn't set a very good path for them. I think we forget about that as parents and need to really sort of be the change we want to see. So mm-hmm. if we want kids to be more playful and play more and discover themselves more, then we have to be just as playful.
1: So do you play at the office? Do you have required playtime? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we do. We have a lot of playful activities, but I think the thing I in my group try to do most is not take what we do too seriously and mm. have a lot of fun. And, you know, I always say it's just toys. And I truly <laughs> say it all the time when people are getting crazy because it is. It's just toys. And if you can't have fun you know, making toys, then you're in big trouble. Oh, that's such a nice thought. So we have to lead by example too. What do you think about, there was a really provocative article recently in one of the major papers. They were talking about Silicon Valley and how how the nannies are signing a contract about not using technology. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that is in the less affluent areas, they are truly disadvantaged in not having the ability to have nannies who will play with them, Mm -hmm. and technology disproportionately impacts them. Do you agree with that?
1: The one thing about that article was that it didn't have any data along with it. It was a lot of really interesting opinions, but it came from the perspective, I felt, of Kind of to your point, people who have the luxury of making the decisions of signing contracts about no phones and no technology and when they're going to need it, but some find balance. But certainly the one-on-one caregiving when you have a young child, whether it's a parent, a grandparent or a nanny when the phones are off and people are paying attention is always going to grow a mind better and everybody's going to connect more and there is no development without relationships. I stole that from Jack Shonkoff from the Harvard Center for the Developing Child, but it is a really important point. And... When we are having a relationship with our cell phones or our iPads, that takes a lot away from kids. The interaction without technology for low-income families is hugely important. At the same time, acknowledging that that's the only thing that most people have, even many, many homeless people have a smartphone. So figuring out how to both access families to help them learn to play and learn to have interactions that will promote that kind of joy and moments that you can find that aren't going to take extra time or money. You could use technology in that way, in a positive way, but for the most part, there is too much technology. From what I can see, technology is getting to a point where all the wonderful things aside, we're losing human connection so rapidly that I can't even imagine how children's brains are going to grow over time. And it's not necessarily that it's going to be a bad thing. It's just, I can't imagine it. It's so different. And there is a real luxury in being able to say, I'm putting everything away. I'm just going to be present. If you have that luxury, take it. We are trying to help figure out how you can find those moments, even with families who are encumbered with so many different stressors and worries and that often you need to use technology because you just are too tired or just can't figure out how to entertain your kids. Also, kids get so attached to those things. That's why that first couple of years keeping kids away from thinking that your phone is important, even to look at, you know, videos of animals. I feel like just don't start with that unless you have to. Obviously, if you're on an airplane (laughs) or a long car ride, all bets are off, but from a day-to-day perspective, those young kids, people feel like they're learning more from being able to repeat, like parrot back something that's on those phones and they're not. So I do think that in that sense, that article and that conversation is very important.
0: I had a really fascinating example of that. I Went to speak about play to a group of individuals who came from all over, and I think prior to that, I had spoken a lot about play, but it was always to a particular group, like a keynote speech or a particular group of folks, uh, and and I would say a higher income demographic. Mm-hmm. And this was just an open forum for speaking, and I spoke about it, and afterward, I was talking about you know allowing your kids to play open endedly and go outside and. About 20 people raised their hands and the first woman, it, her her comments sort of floored me. She basically said, we live in an inner, inner city. I can't send my kids outside. Like I'm worried for their lives. Right. Another one said... I'm not home and my baby's daddy takes care of him and he doesn't care if he's on TV 24 hours a day. And it went on and on about, you know, another one said, I'm only with my child. I work so much, two or three hours a week and we don't have any funds to buy things. What are we supposed to do? Mm -hmm. And I literally was caught so off guard because for the first time, I think it really hit me that so many folks in our country Don't have the luxury to be able to engage in this, even as you said, even if you choose to. I had to quickly think about what do we tell parents in families where they don't have that access. The next day I wrote a blog and it was basically 20 things you can do to engage your child when you have no time, space, or money. Great. (laughs) Because the truth is, it shouldn't involve any toys whatsoever, and it doesn't have to involve going outside. All I had to do was think back to my childhood because the truth is we didn't have money for toys, and I didn't have fancy toys, and almost everything I did was contrived in my own imagination or used a, a paper and pencil or a deck of cards at most. It really brought home that... You don't need expensive toys or to even go outside to play. All you really need, I mean, you do need a piece of paper and a pencil and maybe a ball and a deck of cards. But literally, if you have those things, some fabric, (laughs) you can create probably a more imaginative world than you could ever create with any toys, certainly, that we make.
1: And then, of course, there are amazing toys that you can also get that can facilitate those kinds of activities, but knowing that you can use your creative mind, I think it probably keeps our brains working better, too, because we have to come up with ideas. Having the conversation that that is actually helping your child's brain grow, it's not wasting time at all, has really helped, also that's actually not a luxury, it's a necessity. It's as important as reading to your child and that those are gonna be the things that are gonna help them. As you said, I think the problem solving skills and executive function skills and sense of autonomy and agency that you mentioned earlier, that cannot happen without the idea that you don't have to have all these things to learn. You just need to have curiosity and then everything is out there. Once we start to give kids everything that they need to to think and to play, it's not working.
0: We've uh, talked extensively about boredom and how, you know, (laughs) just as play is a bad word, probably boredom is even a worse word. My
1: mom used to get very upset if I said I was bored.
0: (laughs) Well, my generation of parents, they used to say, bored people are boring.
1: That was my mother.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. I mean, just think, if you can't come up with anything to do, what does that say about your your mind? Today, we are so scared to let our kids be be bored. bored. And actually, we feel it more reflects on us. If our Mm -hmm. kids are bored, that means we haven't given them enough to do, which means we haven't facilitated their growth enough to make them successful. But how ironic that it's completely the opposite. Because if you aren't forced to stare at that blank canvas and make something from it, it's sort of akin to staring in the mirror at yourself each day. Mm -hmm. And if you can't figure out the reason that you're here, you will not be able to feel sort of at home in the world. We view boredom as the genesis of anything magical that ever happens. If you can start from that blank canvas and create something from it, you will feel uh, that sense of empowerment and that ability to you know, create something from nothing, but also to solve problems and to live in a way that you will reach your full potential.
1: You know, I remember I was sitting at a conference a few years ago and the activity that I had to do, and I had a colleague next to me and we all had a piece of blank paper in front of us and a pencil. And they said, draw two circles. And I I was like, what kind of circles? (laughs) Where do you want them? Small circles? Am I covering the page? As I was asking all these questions, I was like, oh, my God, that's the point. Certainly in math and spelling, there is a right way. But in general, there are all these different ways to think about things. And if you don't, as a young person, have the opportunity to stare at that blank canvas, like you said, then how are you supposed to have the confidence to say, all right, I can draw two circles however I want.
0: Yeah, I think one of my favorite quotes of all time is from a Nobel Prize winning physicist who said, discovery consists in seeing what everyone has seen, but thinking what no one has thought. Mm -hmm. I think that is the key in life to develop a critical thinking mindset where you can look at anything not as it is, but with all the potential of what it has to be. That is the goal that we feel childhood offers children is to have such curiosity about their world that they won't see it as it is, but with all its potential. I love that. Yeah. It's sort of seeing the extraordinary in the ordinary every single day. If we make it too rote and regurgitated and structured and memorized, how will they ever be able to do that?
1: I love that. When you started this, I noticed a lot of your toys look like they are inspired by some Montessori but a little bit more vibrant and Reggio, Amelia, it seems like early childhood gold standard learning but just made a little bit more accessible. Where did you come up with the direction that those play ideas came from?
0: Yeah, I mean, we started this company when we were just dating, so we did not have children yet. That is not what I (laughs) thought you were going to say. Wow. I did take it upon myself to research wooden toys in particular since the beginning of time and found it really fascinating to sort of go through all the eras of wooden toys and realize that largely they had stayed the same. But they had never been injected with pizzazz. Uh You know, they were when you thought about wood especially, it was just like dull and boring. And you thought about these big solid things, but they were just devoid of any energy. Our idea was to take dull, boring, lackluster (laughs) play patterns, or I should say play patterns that still had a spark, but had been executed in a dull, boring, lackluster way. And re-energize them by injecting pizzazz into them. It was sort of that mindset.
1: And then you were like, we'll have six kids because why not?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why not? You know, if we have six and everyone (laughs) around us has six, we will support generations of people working for us. That didn't quite happen.
1: Did your kids play with all of those toys and did you notice a difference in how They responded to play and boredom.
0: We only view toys as a spark. The toy is not the end. The toy is purely the catalyst. Mm. The truth is you need no toy to be a child and to reach your full potential. You just need an imagination. But what happens is I think, again, the thought of boredom and the white canvas are so terrifying to Not only kids, but their parents.
1: More to the parents.
0: Right, especially this generation of parents who is tethered to technology and lost the ability to create in their minds. Mm -hmm. So how can they be an imagination coach for their kids if they have no imagination anymore? So I think the toy becomes a conduit to just the spark. Once that spark ignites, you get a bonfire that has very little to do with the toy. The
1: actual toy. Because the
0: best toys are you know, 90% child and 10% toy.
1: Yeah, and that's probably the opposite of what kids might be drawn to if they're given the option of 90% toy, 10% on them.
0: <laughs> Did you see the 60 Minutes special on what technology does to children's brains? Well, One of the most fascinating pieces of it is they have three different toys that they give a very young child, had to be under two years old. Mm-hmm. The first one was like a puzzle something without any stimuli. They ask the child to play with it for a little bit, and then they ask the child to give it to the facilitator. The puzzle, the child gives very very (laughs) Willingly. Willingly. And then the second one is an electronic guitar that has some, you know, sound and lights. Uh, The child plays with it. The facilitator asks for it. Takes a little more time, but the child gives it. And then the third one is a screen with a ton of flashing lights and bells and whistles and the whole thing. The facilitator asks the child to give it, and the child not only doesn't give it, but goes like this, and holds it to his chest and will not give it back. You know, in one sense it was humorous, but in the other it was shocking, because it showed, even at that young age, the addictive properties of technology. It's fast. It's fast.
1: Kathy Mm Hirsch-Pasek, who I'm sure she's spoken with her. I'm sure you have. um, Is such a play researcher and such a passionate voice in the field of developmental psychology and the mother of the person who co-wrote Dear Van Hansen. <laughs> I think that's super cool for the musical theater geeks here. She said she's very convinced that there's got to be a, a huge effect for something that she's calling secondhand screen. And she's kind of trying to look at it like secondhand smoke and just see what happens there. While there's no question that that's true, it's still another one of those difficult discussions because in one part of my work, I think it's pretty easy to say, make a commitment, set a time, put an alarm on your phone, use one of those apps that shuts your wifi off or your phone off at certain times to focus. For other people, that's a lot easier said than done. But it was such an important point because it's becoming one of those things where you catch parents, I've done this myself. I'm on my phone entertaining myself by looking at my phone or reading an article on my phone or looking at social media or something that I would completely judge. And I'm annoyed with my children for not figuring out a way to entertain themselves. So that secondhand screen thing, I think that she's talking about is going to be another piece of the puzzle of what is technology doing to play and to the way that we're thinking.
0: Agree. There was another report just about a week ago from the American Academy of Pediatrics that talked all about this. It was called, I might be off slightly, but selecting appropriate toys in the digital era. Mm-hmm. It literally talked about technology usage in adults and in kids, and how there is no data to support that digital toys help learning. In fact, quite the contrary. In the 60 Minutes episode, the doctor who was one of the doctors that wrote the AAP guidelines on screen time, Mm -hmm. he showed a child playing on a screen and he said, you cannot transfer skills from a 2D screen to 3D playing. Meaning if you build blocks on a screen, you have to start from scratch When you build blocks in real life, Mm. literally there is, it's just a waste. There is no benefit to using it yet. We're still sort of not quite there. And, And we at our company view it as we have to educate this whole generation of parents because they have no idea how to parent in this digital age and they have no idea what the guardrails are, what the guidelines are, what the things that they are just allowing for their kids without knowing are are doing to their children's brains. I think a lot of it is it's not as easy.
1: It's not. It's not as easy to play. It's hard for adults to play. It's hard to sit down and play. And it's also hard to feel like it's okay that your child might be sitting down to play and you're there parallel playing with them but not fully engaged. And there are different ways for this to go, but none of those ways are as easy as telling yourself that when they watch Baby Einstein that that's going to give them more, even though, of course, Baby Einstein ended up having to refund everybody because they made false claims and because those kids did worse even in kindergarten. I think that's basically the other part of this is if you're now a generation raised on this technology, how are you going to sit back and experience what can be kind of tedious? If you don't find something fun about it, it's tedious for some people.
0: I have to be honest, it is an incredible babysitter. I mean, technology yeah. usurps your kid's attention like nothing. For and hours. I mean, For it's hours, terrifying. they could literally <laughs> sit in front of a video game for four or five hours, mm-hmm. completely captivated, happy, content. And it's easy to believe that that's okay, especially when you're getting things done that you wouldn't be able to get done if you were continually sort of watching and playing with your child.
1: And then I think you hear the kids repeat something that they learned from Daniel Tiger, and you're like, oh, but they're learning a good social-emotional lesson or letters from Sesame Street, even though Sesame Street's gotten very fast-paced. None of those things happen in the same way when it's not that relationship and that one-on-one or group interaction, live interaction. That's a lot of work, so.
0: I know, and that's a sort balance. Of, right, that's where we are now, that juncture between, we're not going to go back to a generation ago, where parents didn't even need to play with their kids. That's the funny thing now, is we <laughs> have this pressure now that if it's not technology, then we, we have to literally be there one-on-one playing with them, because they haven't developed that skill to do it on their own. We have to bridge the divide now between sort of a generation ago where it was simple. You just sort of kicked your kid outside and they played outside all day and the parent had no involvement with their kids. <laughs> I mean, that was sort of my generation. Yeah.
1: Then- I love that you think we're <laughs> we're the same. That's exactly what I had. Okay. Same I'll age. Believe that.
0: <laughs> but then the helicopter generation where you felt like if you weren't literally picking your child up as they fell down or before yeah. they fell down, I should say... Uh, that we were doing something wrong. Before they fell down. Before they fell down. I mean, if you look at kids' knees today, I did this recently, (laughs) there are no black and blue marks and no scratches. When I grew up, I had so many black and blue marks, you couldn't (laughs) even see my legs and scratches and scars. And the minute you'd take off a Band-Aid, you'd get another bruise on it. Today, that, that just doesn't happen because we don't allow our kids to play in that way where they get sort of, you know, a little hurt.
1: Yeah, it's a really tricky balance because anything, I can already hear this putting pressure on parents to really feel like they have to redo the way that they're having interactions. It's more the benign neglect, a little bit of benign neglect and a little bit of delight in some moments where you're together and playing and a little bit of, all right, I'm going to use technology. I think somewhere the pendulum keeps swinging in wild directions and we'll get to a middle ground someday. (laughs) That's the hope.
0: I think so. I mean, because parents always ask us, they say, but uh, I can't do it. You know, I'm too far in the other extreme now. We say, make it simple. Just make your dinners technology free. Put your phone down and for 20 minutes, sit as a family and talk (laughs) about your day. And that might seem crazy today, but... That alone is a huge step. Mm -hmm. And then take it to the car. You know, when you're in the car with your kids, say that's no technology.
1: We don't have this opportunity as much in New York City, but car rides, you get the more more information. I mean, you must know this more than anyone. You get the best conversations or you overhear the best conversations. If there's technology, it ruins it.
0: Not a question. And it's usually the, the more fascinating thing, I think, for me, is that it's usually not at the beginning of the car ride. So usually they're really angry at the beginning for whatever reason, usually because I say no technology. And it takes like 20 minutes for the anger to dissipate (laughs) and like the revelations to start coming out. If you didn't have that long a period and you allowed them to be on their phone, it would never get there. That would be a tremendous loss.
1: That is another thing that everybody's afraid of, to allow the experience of people being miserable in the car for a little while and that's totally fine. You're not hurting your kids because something that you're not allowing is making them unhappy.
0: Wow. Can you say that again to me?
1: (laughs) This is like therapy. It's really hard to remember. I'm saying it to myself too.
0: (laughs) That's great to know because that's, my kids are always miserable in the car because I, I tell them to put their technology away.
1: I feel like it's very scary to let your kids be miserable when all you want is for these people that you love so much to be happy, but it's such a gift to let them experience being miserable for something so ridiculous so that when something really miserable happens, it's not an unfamiliar feeling.
0: Think about it. When we were young and we went, and I'm saying we, I'm including you. you. (laughs) <laughs> we went in the car. What did we do? We looked out the window. Right. Like we saw so many incredible sights and things that you were like, what? Did I just see that? Beauty and wonder and curiosity all got sparked. Today, most of the time they're driving, <laughs> they're not even looking where they're going. They're looking at someone else's life on a phone. Mm-hmm. It's really quite tragic. And I think, you know, a generation from now, we'll look back and we will look with shock at Maybe some of the things we allowed our kids to do, unfortunately.
1: Or we will have, you know, some weird cameras in our eyes, <laughs> something terribly creepy. But it is one of those things that feels like I don't want to sound like I'm back in the day all the time, but there is. Do it, it'll
0: make me feel better. <laughs>
1: but there is something. Clearly, especially in early childhood, there's just no question that that time is so precious and the boredom of not having to watch, I mean, videos of people opening presents. I think that's a really good gift to give to kids instead of thinking that that moment where they're uncomfortable or trying to grab the phone is, and I say phone, but it could be anything, obviously. I mean, I can't even believe I say this, but now I am i say to people, at least if you're going to watch a movie, watch the TV like a family, because we don't even have exactly. group TV shows anymore. There's no when I when I was a kid, <laughs> you'd get excited because there would be like a very special movie that was on or something, and so everybody would get together and yep. it would be a big event. There is no big event anymore, so exactly. it's just you can have whatever you want whenever you want it, and it worries me if children get whatever they want when they want it now it's very hard to become an adult and find out that that, in fact, isn't how it works.
0: I agree. Fascinating, sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. One of the most fascinating uh, exercises I was involved in is we were at a big meeting and it was all ages and all different types of people. As a icebreaker, they went around and they said, put on a piece of paper your favorite childhood memory. Went around the table and it was so fascinating when everyone read their memory Every single one involved groups of people they loved, music, games, and/or food, and it was young people, older people, and it was so fascinating that not one—I I noticed it at the time because it was about a year and a half ago—not one mentioned technology. Like that time
1: I was sitting watching a show I loved or playing a game.
0: Right. It was. It was always connection mm-hmm. and laughter and happiness and fun and togetherness and simple joy it was the simple things which just it really stuck with me i think about that quite often that it wasn't anything about when i watched that youtube you know video or we were filming something right. it was it was just those simple yet profound moments
1: those are those memory making moments as a side note if you really want to grow you're trying to build connections in the brain with young children and you want them to have beautiful memories, it all goes to these relationships and connections. That is much more effective than anything else. So even if you have no interest (laughs) in the idea behind enjoying play or delighting in play or the skills that seem softer, it's also important for everything I don't know why I'm pitching that or who I'm pitching that to. It's just really important to build your neural connections and your human connections are so inextricably linked. That's well
0: said. Thank I'm so you. glad to have oh met my you. Gosh, I am too. I think of us as friends <laughs> I'm now. I'm very excited about our intimate conversation. Sounds like we're partners in a really important uh, goal and crusade. So sure. Anything I'm I can ever do
1: to help finding you. Finding you, you a lot. Good. I can. I I can tell already. I'm going to need to do that. And now I have lots of other questions for you. We'll same, take off. Same here. <laughs>